Well, most of you uh, know that before God called me to be a pastor, that I had spent many years in, as a respiratory therapist in the hospital system and in home care. And my job was to take care of a variety of different patients while I was there. And some of them were itty bitty little premature babies, and some of them were at their last few moments of their life. And Unfortunately, a lot of the patients that I would take care of were NPO. You know what that stands for? No, you said the Latin or whatever. I have no clue what you just said, but (laughs) it means nothing by mouth. It means you're not supposed to eat anything. You're not supposed to drink anything. It could be that you had some sort of upcoming surgery. It could mean that you have some sort of swallowing issue, but... The problem is, is that you are never thirstier than when somebody tells you you're not allowed to drink anything. And so these NPO patients are are the ones that are begging for water, and that's all that they want. And I remember when my dad was in the hospital, and he was having some swallowing issues, and so rightfully so, they made him NPO so he wouldn't choke, and his mouth was so dry And my dad would try to strike a deal with the nurses. They would come in and say, okay, David, it's time for us to turn you. And he'd say, well, on one condition. I'll let you turn me if you get me something to drink. And they turned him anyway, and they never gave him anything to drink. That's just what they had to do. Your body knows when it needs hydration, doesn't it? Uh, This summer, we're going to take our teenagers uh, from PFN here, we're going to take them to NYC down in Tampa, Florida in July. And I'm sure that we're probably, we're going to constantly remind them over and over and over, you need to drink, you need to hydrate, you need to get some water into you. And we're probably going to tell them, if you're thirsty, it means you're already dehydrated. So drink, drink up, drink up. There's a story in the Old Testament where the Israelite people had escaped from, or they're escaping from, going to escape from slavery in Egypt, and uh, or they've now they're walking through the desert and they're walking through the wilderness and they're out in the Sinai Desert and the Sinai Desert is one of the driest places on earth. And so here are all these people and they're walking around and they're thirsty and they're dehydrated because they're in a desert with a horse with no name. And some of you got that joke and some of you now are going to have that song going through your head all day long. I see I'm already singing it in my head right now. So in the desert, (laughs) there is no water. And the Sinai Desert gets less than two inches of rain in a year's time. And so here are all these people that were grumbling because their leader, Moses, had led them into this area where they had become thirsty. And they go to him and they say, we are thirsty, Moses, and we're going to die out here. Why in the world would you lead us here? It would have been better if we were just back in slavery in Egypt. And remember last week we said that Sometimes God allows us to go through that dark period in our soul because we have to learn something, because he's trying to teach us something. There was a dark period in the soul of the Israelites as they were walking through that desert and they were thirsting because they had forgotten 
They had forgotten that God was the one that has been providing for them. And so they asked Moses, hey, is God with us or not here? What's up with this, Moses? And so God provided for them when he had Moses take a stick and strike a rock and water started flowing from that rock. And once they received their water, they stopped complaining for a while. Now, the lesson for the Israelites uh, on this day was pretty clear. They need to trust God in all situations, and he will provide for them and in their life. The Israelites had to learn a valuable lesson when they were thirsty. And I'm sure that they were grumbling, and I'm sure as they were walking through the desert, they were overturning every single rock and saying, well, maybe there's some, a little bit of moisture under this rock, or turning over that rock. Maybe there's some water over here. And I'm sure as they were walking and they had all the desert sand in front of them, I'm sure that there was a mirage in front of them, and they were starting to have hope, and were getting to water, and it would all of a sudden disappear. And I'm sure that as they were walking, every single ditch, every single shadow under every single tree or even cactus or whatever is out there, they were hoping beyond hope that they would find just a little bit, just a tiny source of that life-giving water. See, the lesson that they needed to learn is that they just needed to find the right source. All they needed to do was ask God and he provided And in the story, he did. We can learn from their mistake today when we find ourselves in a situation where we cannot provide for ourselves. And even the times that we can provide for ourselves, we need to be connected to the right source. See, whenever we have a need, it might be a physical need. It might be a financial need. It might be a a mental need. It might be a spiritual need. Christ, our spiritual rock, is all we ever need. And I don't know about you, but I have found out that I am in constant need of God to intervene in my life. And as I get older, this is evident in my life every single day. And I've learned now at the age of 52 that I now make noise when I do anything. (laughs) Have you noticed that too? Just when you do simple things, when you're getting up out of a chair, when you're putting on your shoes, you make noise where you didn't make noise before when you're in your 20s, right? Uh, I want you to pay attention after now you've been sitting for about a half an hour and you get up to leave today and listen for the grunts and the noise of all the old people sitting next to you, right? See, the older I get... Maybe part of it is a a decline physically, but part of it, I would hope, is a spiritual maturity. That the older I get, I realize that I have more and a more dependence upon God every single day. And I need him to provide for me. And I cannot do this life without him. And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and and write this down. This is a lesson we might need to learn today, that serving God doesn't shelter us from harm in this world. In reality, serving God may actually expose us to more of it. We may not realize it too often because we really love in, in our society to stay within our comfort zone, but that's, it's true. 
We, if you look at the Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament, Paul was this missionary after Jesus had been resurrected and he went out across the whole region and he was uh, sharing the good news of, of Christ around Israel. And not everyone was happy with his news, which isn't really a surprise because this whole Lenten season we've been looking at the Messiah who's been crucified on a cross and not everyone was happy with this news. So Paul talks about it uh, in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, and he says this, it's in your notes here. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from the false believers. Kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book here. It's not in a box with a fox or all that, no. Sorry, Paul. But anyway, let's go on. I have labored, and I have toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. See, Paul didn't write this to complain he wrote this to rejoice that Christ was enough for him in spite of all of this that he was facing in his life. And he knew that Jesus was going to meet his need. See, when you're thirsty, when your soul needs refreshing, Jesus is all you need. And Paul was telling us that it, it doesn't matter uh, if our distress is because we are in service to the Lord or merely we're just part of this broken world that all of us live in today where there's death and there's pain and there's sorrow. Paul is saying that God's strength can shine through all of what you are going through, every bit of it. To the point here is that at some point in your life, in some point in your life, and maybe you're experiencing it right now, but in some point in your life, you're going to feel very weak. At some point in your life, you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be distressed, damaged, thirsty. But that is the time when God's strength is going to be strongest in you. Number two here is times of thirst serve a purpose in our life. There's another uh, story, this time in the New Testament about being thirsty. It's found in John chapter four, if you wanna turn there. And it's relatively early in the ministry of Jesus. And he is traveling through this region called Samaria. And he got thirsty, it was the middle of the day and it was hot outside. And so Jesus stops by this well and soon after, there was a woman that arrived, and she was there to get some water for herself. And Jesus asked her if he, she would get him a drink. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It seems like a pretty normal occurrence that day, except that Jesus wasn't supposed to be talking to this woman. 
by law and by uh, the culture, he shouldn't be talking to her at all. She was a Samaritan. He was Jewish. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And furthermore, Jesus was a rabbi. He should not be talking to this woman at all. But Jesus wasn't like other rabbis. And Jesus, thankfully, liked to... uh, uh, beat a different drum. And he often did things that were very unconventional for the time. And so he asked this woman if she would get him some water. And this woman, knowing the culture and knowing the law and knowing who Jesus was, and she got freaked out here and she said, you aren't supposed to be talking to me. What are you doing? And Jesus says, don't you know me? Don't you get it? If I want water, I could, if I really just wanted water from you, I could hit this rock and water would come out of it. I've done it before. I can do it again. No, he, he didn't say that. It's not what he said. See, Jesus wasn't really at that well for water that day. He didn't go there because he needed some lady to get him a drink. He was there because she needed him. And that's why he showed up that day. And so Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would, be, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Living water, she says? I, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't even have anything to draw water out of this well. Where are you going to get this living water from? See, she had no clue to whom she had met at that well. And Jesus knew that what she had come to get from that well wasn't what she really needed anyway. See, God knew that the water from the rock in that desert wasn't really what the Israelite people needed that day. They both needed the Israelites back in the desert and this woman at the well both needed to know the source of living water. And so Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she didn't get it still. And she said, well, then give me some of that living water. And Jesus responds to her very interestingly, uh, actually kind of strangely, and he says, go get your husband and come back. Which sounds like a polite thing to say, right? It's kind of like, well, uh, you know, I want to serve him some living water too. Why don't you go and get him? No, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, go get Bob. I want to meet your husband. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. He was making a point. And she said, sir, I don't have a husband. To which Jesus says, I know. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the man who is at home now is not even number six. So what you've said is quite true. See, Jesus wouldn't say that. He wasn't trying to embarrass her, put her in her place. He was pointing out to her what she really needed. 
This is a time in scripture that Jesus to me sounds a lot like Pastor Irene. (laughs) I think Pastor Irene or Jesus in this moment would say, girl, you have been looking for water in all the wrong places, right? You aren't gonna find out what you need from any of those five husbands or the friend with benefits back at home. You are never going to be satisfied like that. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the well. I am the well. I am the well. And he's telling us that today. I am the one that you have been looking for. I'm it. I'm the answer to your thirst. What you need is me. The source that you're looking for comes from him. Please quit looking down the wrong well. Friends, what What you need isn't coming from a relationship. Maybe that you have tried, you've tried to put somebody in the position that's been reserved for Jesus and it's not working. It's not an accomplishment that you've set for your soul, for yourself. It's not a goal. And you think, well, if I would just achieve that, if I could just do this and then I would be set and then things would start working in my life. No, it's not the question of if I just make this amount of money. Or or if I just get this stable job, or if I just meet the right person, or if I just leave this person, or if I quit doing this, or if I start doing that, no, no, no. If you keep trying to fix your life on your own, you are going to fail every single time. It's not about what we can do for ourselves It's about what Jesus can do for us if we would just ask. As long as we keep drinking from those other wells, we are always going to be thirsty. And so the fifth thing that Jesus says is he is on the cross. It's found in John 19, verse 28. Later knowing that everything had now been finished, And so that scripture could be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. If you remember back from Psalm 22, verse 15 last week, it's prophesying about Jesus. And it says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. It was a piece of dried up old pottery. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And after the torture and after the the bleeding and after the exposure of, of Jesus on that cross, the source of living water, our source of living water is dehydrated. Why? Why was Jesus thirsty besides the physicalness of what he was going through in the the situation at the time. Remember, this comes right after Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus wasn't just thirsty because he needed hydration, but on a spiritual level, he was thirsty because he needed to be connected to living water again. See, Jesus was desperate to be in God's presence, yet Jesus, yes, Jesus felt thirst physically, but Jesus was parched spiritually. Eloi, 
Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then John says in his gospel in chapter 19, verse 28, later knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture could be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And this wasn't just a dying man begging for water. This was the Messiah fulfilling prophecy. In Psalm 90, or in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar to drink. Gave me vinegar for my thirst. There is also a mention, just a passing mention, you could say. There's this passing mention of how they gave Jesus that vinegar that day. It was a mention of hyssop, the hyssop plant. And I don't want you to to miss this. I I want you to see that God leaves nothing to chance here and that God has everything covered here. A hyssop plant is this tall and flowering herb. And when the Jewish people that were there at the cross and they heard Jesus say, I thirst, and then they saw people put a sponge and soak up that vinegar and put it on a hyssop stock and hand it over to Jesus and put it up to his mouth, they would have understood what is going on. See, back in the time of Exodus, back back in that time with the the Israelites and they escaped Egypt, God was rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and the Hebrews would have used a hyssop stock to paint the lamb's blood on the doorpost as a sign that the angel would pass over them. And so, just so we're all on the same page, way back in the Old Testament, this happens about at least 1,500 years before Jesus shows up. Moses is trying to convince the Pharaoh to let all of the Israelite slaves go out of Egypt. And so, God sends 10 plagues to to Egypt, to the Pharaoh, to show him that he really is God and that he really is the most powerful one. And the 10th plague... The final plague was the death of all of the firstborn. And so an angel of death was to come over the land and every firstborn son would die. But the Israelites were told that if they sacrificed a perfect lamb and they painted its blood over their door, the angel of death would pass over their home and their firstborn would be spared. And how they would do that was to take that hyssop branch. That would have been the tool that they used to apply the blood on their door that day or that evening. Fast forward to the cross and now our Passover lamb is being slain. Hebrew law also says that hyssop was used to scatter blood as a sign that a diseased person was now purified. And because all this shed blood, 
because of Jesus' shed blood, all who repent are now cleansed. And so it's not an accident that they used a hyssop branch to raise a sponge to Jesus' lips. And that sponge had a vinegary wine. It was kind of this cheap drink that the soldiers were probably chugging that day as they executed these criminals. And it was a bitter drink. But this whole experience for Jesus had to be bitter. And the day that Jesus drank that vinegar, he also drank the cup of God's wrath against sin of mankind. Remember last week we said we were going to go back and look at Jesus in the night before and he was spending some time by himself and he was praying and he was praying for those that were following him. He was praying for you. You can read his prayer. It's in John chapter 17. Spend some time there maybe this week. But he also prayed some familiar words. You probably have heard them before where he says, Lord, take this cup from me. What's he referring to here? See, he knew that he was referring to the upcoming suffering that he was going to face. He knew that he was going to be beaten by Roman soldiers, uh, the betrayal by his friends, and then eventually his crucifixion on a Roman cross in just a few hours. And it anguished him to think about what he is going to have to endure. And so he asked his father, if there's any other way, any other way, take this cup from me. Let it pass over me. But the penalty for our sins couldn't pass over Jesus. The cup of wrath of God against sin of mankind needed to be poured out. It needed to be drank. The buck had to stop somewhere. There had to be a Passover lamb, and it was Jesus himself. And so Jesus is our Passover lamb because he took on the death that we deserved. Death and eternal separation from God has passed over us because of Jesus. See, when Jesus, knowing that everything had now been finished, now that all the sin of mankind had been applied to him and the punishment was his, he said, I thirst. And he didn't say it just to drink some vinegar. He drank from the very cup that he released us from. So number three is Jesus drank from the cup that paid the price for us. When Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath, he did it so that you and I don't have to. It seems like I thirst might just be a pretty routine, maybe an ordinary statement. It just seems like here's a dehydrated man and he's asking for a drink, but he said it in hope that God would quench your thirst. The ancient Israelites didn't need water as much as they needed to know that God was the one that would provide for them. The woman at the well didn't need water as much as she needed the living water that Jesus provided for her. And you may be thirsty now, maybe even you're physically thirsty and you're physically dehydrated. Your body is telling you that it thirsts and it needs something to drink. But Jesus knows that's not your first need. 
He drank of the cup so that you could drink from another. When we take communion next week on Monday, Thursday, and then again on Easter Sunday, but then at least that Monday, Thursday service, we're going to participate in that entire Passover meal as we celebrate our heritage, our Passover. And we're going to take communion from four different cups. The last cup. The last cup means I will bring you to me. And it is the cup that Jesus does not drink from. Jesus does not drink from the cup and he tells his followers that he will not drink it until he drinks it new with us in his father's kingdom. See, some people think that we will drink this cup with Jesus when we arrive into heaven. Some people think that we will drink of this cup with Jesus when he returns to claim his church. But none of us will ever drink from that cup None of us would ever make it to heaven. None of us would ever be gathered up upon his return if Jesus didn't drink the cup of death and drink what we deserved. Drinking from that cup protected us from it ourselves. See, Jesus was separated from the living water so that you didn't have to. And he paid that price. So let's bow our heads and let's go to Jesus, the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for us, who right now is sitting on the right-hand side of God and he's interceding for us still. Jesus, on that cross, you paid all of the penalty for us. And you went through all of that experience so that we don't have to. We thank you, Lord, that you drank from that cup. We thank you, Lord, that you drank from the cup of God's wrath against sin so that we don't have to. And Lord, we thank you that even if for a moment, even just for a short period of time, that you felt spiritually thirsty so that we don't have to. Lord, we are continually connected to you. Some 2,000 years after you died on that cross and through your Holy Spirit, we are still connected to the source of living water. Help us to realize that that is all we will ever need. So Jesus, as we are here on earth and as we spiritually thirst, as we need you to show up in different areas in our life, I pray, Lord, that your blessing falls upon this congregation. I pray, Lord, that your blessing falls upon all those who are watching online. I pray, Lord, that in their thirst, they realize and we all realize that you are the source of that living water. And when we truly drink from you, we will never thirst again. Thank you, Jesus, for being that living water for us. 
We thank you, Lord, for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our life, what you're doing today, what you will do tomorrow. You are a good and gracious God. And we thank you for sitting right next to the Father, interceding for us just as much as you interceded for us on that cross. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, a powerful name. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And all of us say together, amen.